The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. How's it going? And welcome to episode 76 of On The Wire, proud member of the PitcherList Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. And if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. And I'm once again joined by my co-host, Kevin Hastings, who should be followed on the Twitter himself, at Hastings Kevin. And Kevin, there's literally just, there's four more of these. There's only four more fab periods to go. First of all, can you believe it? <laughs> and second of all, like how comfortable are you with any one particular league that you have going into the literally the stretch run? Oh, wow. No, first of no. all, I can't believe it. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's we spend all of this time throughout the offseason building up and we can't wait for the season to start. And then once it does, it it flies by it, in spite of the grind it can be at times, and sometimes it's almost overwhelming, especially if you play in several leagues or even more than several, it can really bear down on us a little bit. But then to think about it, we just had the all-star break. The season it feels like it was just, just started right, yeah, right. Just started right <laughs> before that, it feels like. No, I can't believe that we're this close to the end. And I'm not comfortable in any league. I, I have Just multiple leagues that I have a chance to win, but mm. by no means am I, is it yeah. over? None of mine. So I really, this is going to be an exciting three and a half weeks for me personally. I have a lot of leagues where I have a chance, but none where it's been decided. Right. At least not in my favor. Yeah, I had, I think two years ago, like I had two leagues that I was just like, blowing away i don't even remember what it was. they were 12 teamers they were whatever and i was blowing them away by september rolled around i'm like not that i wasn't paying attention to them anymore but i was sitting pretty you were I've counting your money that yeah <laughs> i was not i have not felt that in some time right. <laughs> and i miss it <laughs> a lot like i'm leading i think two leagues right now but there's no comfort level whatsoever let's let's find out that same comfort level with our guest who has plenty of opportunities as he is in 26 leagues if i'm not mistaken my pleasure right now to welcome to the show Britton allen he's gonna help us break down some fab options in the first of the last four fab periods we have in the rest of the month in september and october he can be heard regularly on the Three is a Magic Number podcast. It's part of the Triple Play Fantasy 
family of podcasts. Check out his work there on the Triple Play Fantasy YouTube page by clicking on the link in the show description. Britton, thanks so much, man, for joining us. How are your, is it 26? Did I get that number right? It's 26 leagues. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Kevin, for having me on your podcast. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to every single week. And it's, so I'm in 26 NFBC leagues and I was looking at it today and I'm in first place in one league. In one. So that's one for 26. But you have a chance to cash in other leagues. True. I've got some four, some fifth, things like that. But in one league, I'm in first. And it's because coincidentally, in that one league, I drafted one player that I didn't draft (laughs) at every single other league. (laughs) Can you guess which player I drafted in the league I'm in first place in? Is it a 12 or 15? Which style is it? It's a 15 draft champions, 50 round draft and hold. Oh man, that's a good one. It's an early guy. I'm going with Aaron Judge. That's a good guess. I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to go some a rookie. I'm going to go Michael Harris. Those are great guesses. It is Aaron Judge, mm. who as of today is batting 300, 304 to be exact, Mr. Judge. <laughs> I want to make sure I get that right. 55 home runs. 16 stolen bases. This is Barry Bonds 2001 type situation or Alex Rodriguez or something. And I was looking at that draft because it was the first DC I did. It was like in, it was like Thanksgiving weekend of last year. And I was so mad that I drafted him. I was so <laughs> mad because I wanted Teoscar Hernandez and Jordan Alvarez in the third round. I drafted Corbin Burns in the first round and then somebody. But in the third round, in my queue, I had Teoscar Hernandez. I had Jordan Alvarez. And they went back to back. And then there's Aaron Judge. And I'm like, oh, man, I need a power. I wanted a power outfielder in my third round. I'm like, God, I don't want Aaron Judge. I was like, all right, fine, whatever. Click that button, and now I'm in first. So thank you, Tay Oscar and Jordan Truthers, because I'm better lucky than good, as my father used to say, and I I believe that wholeheartedly. We'll take it. We'll take it every time, right? Absolutely. At least one out of 26 times. (laughs) Now, do you make the mistake like me and jump in 26 NFBC leagues, but then also pile that on top of random home leagues or other leagues on Fantrax and CBS and Yahoo and other platforms, or are you strictly NFBC based? I I only do NFBC for draft and hold because obviously with 26 leagues, you can't fab that many leagues unless you just literally are retired from and you just I mean, you have you the can. Th- it's you possible. True. Maybe not recommended. I have, I have two young daughters that would absolutely refuse to let me do anything of that nature. But no, but I do have some fan tracks leagues and the league that's near and dear to my heart. The one that got me into fantasy baseball in 2015 is a home league fab home league that is so cutthroat. It's not for money, but it literally, it drives people insane that are close friends where we talk about it constantly, but no, sure. Yeah, but those are the fab leagues I've got are Yahoo and fan tracks. But it's just, it's a lot of fun. But I, yeah, the NFBC stuff, I just do draft and hold. 
All right, let's let's get some news out of the way so that we can help people who have 26 leagues set their lineups correctly and or consider their fab bids if they need to spend that amount of time fabbing all those leagues or just one league. doesn't matter. You're going to want this information anyway. So as we tend to do, we're going to hit on a bunch of news and notes items and try to only talk about the things that are related or could be related to the guys you might be considering to fab or the guys you might be considering to cut based on what's happening in the news. So all fab related things here. Really quick one, Kevin, I'm going to start kick you off real quick. We got Wander Franco. He's back. He's back from the IL after a couple of hiccups in different rehab stints in Durham, but he returned and he's hit the ground running pretty quickly batting second in both the games that he's played since his return so far. It's only two games, but have you seen any adjustments that the Rays have made that you think are going to impact the next couple of days and into the, into the final weeks of the season as far as their infield and or lineup goes? Yeah, and it wasn't just Wander Franco. The day before, Brandon Lau came back. So it's really got two guys back that are going to play every day. We know that as much as Tampa will let someone play every day. It's only been two days with Franco, but Taylor Walls has not been in the lineup either day. He had been playing against righties. It's been righties both of the past two days, and he hasn't been in there. With Brandon Lau, that kind of moves some guys around a little bit, and we got Harold Ramirez has been really good. We've talked about him a couple of times, and he's probably still overlooked in some leagues. He's been good. They're going to keep him in there. And over the past couple of days, what I've noticed is Christian Betancourt and Francisco Mejia, who had been in the lineup sometimes at the same time with one of them as the designated hitter, that has not been the case. It's only been two and three days between the two players being back, but that has not been happening. David Peralta sat a day and G-Man Choi sat Harold Ramirez playing first base to open up the DH spot. So that's what we're going to see. We're used to that with those guys typically being Tampa. We know those guys aren't always going to play every day. The big one is Taylor Walls. I don't see a spot for him. Yeah, I don't think he saw a spot for himself the way he had been playing most of the season anyway. If you've been holding on to him in the deepest of formats just because of position eligibility or desperation, I know I've got a couple pieces of exposure on Walls, especially in my DCs and my other drafts and holds, but it's been only, I think I only have him in a lineup in one spot and it's pure desperation and I'm probably in eighth or ninth place in that league for good reason anyway. So yeah, I'm just glad to, honestly, I'm just glad to see Wander back in the lineup on a regular basis. I don't have a lot of exposure with, with Franco, but he's just, it's just baseball is better having him on the field. Somebody else is not back. He, I was considering him back because all the rumors said that Josh Young was going to break camp and then he broke something else instead. And he was out for the good majority of the league of the year. And he's been rehabbing ever since. Finally, the Rangers decided to call him up and he debuted a couple of days ago. Britton, what are your expectations for this kind of a call up this late in the season? My expectations are through the roof with Josh Young. How about your first major league at bat? You just go ahead and hit a monster home run. And then during that game, too, you go ahead and steal a base 
he debut would, combo meal. That is a beautiful thing. Debut combo meal. He's what I tell you what expectations. How about I just go break those <laughs> literally day one and we just not even worry about it. But here's what I know about Josh Young is that his so he tore his labrum in his shoulder back in February. He's been rehabbing hard, but what he really worked on was his mental game. I don't know if y'all knew this, Kevin Adam, that his great grandfather was a Swiss psychiatrist named Carl Jung, who pioneered dream analysis and archetype and persona. And so what Josh did is that he meditated and got his mind right. Now, I don't know if any of that's true, but what I do know is true. <laughs> yeah, me. <laughs> but what I do know, I know, but what I have last name, and so I figure it's probably true. It could be true, but let's not let truth get in the way of a good narrative here. But what I do know, he's a top-rated prospect for the Rangers. He's going to play third base every day. He's the only um, problem with his at-bats may be Josh Smith, who they also called up, but I think he's playing left field. So he's going to keep moving up the order. He's going to keep hitting home runs. His shoulder feels good because he's hitting home runs and stealing bases. And his mind is right after reading all that psychiatrist Carl Jung stuff in the offseason and the Red Book and whatever else that Swiss gentleman wrote. But yeah, I'm all in on Josh Young. I think he is like the fab get of the week. He's a must add just because of the power, opportunity, and speed component. He's really exciting. Yeah, plus it does seem like he. there's no reason he won't play every day based on the pedigree and the fact that they even sent down to make room for him Ezekiel Duran who had been playing some third base as well so a lot of his competition was swept under the rug as he was coming up which is which was seemed like the same scenario that we were in back in February and March as the Rangers were basically getting rid of every other third base option and not signing any third base options with the assumption that Young would be ready and compete for a rookie of the year um, I was doing the same thing the yeah. Rangers were doing right. in the drafts that I did prior sure. to his injury. I was drafting him as my starting third baseman. It, I'm sure you guys remember third base was pretty thin during draft season. And they're the, the four or five guys that would go by the end of the third round. I was waiting and taking young later in every draft. So in my draft and holds, this is a, a nice addition for me already. I already <laughs> roster him in, in most of my DCs that I drafted before the injury. But yeah, I was in the same spot the Rangers were. Uh, there's uh, Luckily in fab leagues, I was able to replace him. But some of the, my draft and holds, I've had pretty weak third baseman all season long. It's a small little celebration in those scenarios. Bring out the party favors. All right, let's move over, Kevin, to the Yankees who... Got a couple of big names put on the IL this week, including Anthony Rizzo. He was put on the IL for headaches after being treated for his back. So they specifically said this IL stint is not for his back. It's to clear up the headaches that he got from the medication and or the treatment that he was getting for his back itself, which sounds worse somehow. So hopefully he is he gets right there as he comes back. And then DJ LeMay, who joined him on the IL as well. So... Does this make any room for any of the, we talked about this last week. Does this make any room for any of the rookies that the Yankee, Yankees have up now and make them more appealing, at least for this next week that those guys are going to be out? Maybe for just a week, but they haven't been very good either. Oswaldo <laughs> Cabrera has been playing right field and at, 
I have this guy listed for later in the show, but the saving grace here is Harrison Bader starting his rehab assignment as early as tomorrow. It hasn't been officially announced that it will be tomorrow, as in today, as we record on Saturday. Sunday. And yeah. you'll be listening to this on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, as early as Sunday, he's going to begin his rehab assignment. Uh, and they're saying like a week to 10 days. This is the week to grab Bader in leagues where he's available. I don't have interest in Cabrera. Stanton is back again after missing a few more days after coming back this last time back in the DH spot. So the lineup is pretty set. Also, Miguel Andahar is back with the team and he's played four of the five days. They've played, they have had games against nothing but right-handed pitching and he's playing against them. He should definitely play against left-handed pitching. So I think the Yankees have decided they're done with the rookies for the most part, other than Cabrera, who they need in the outfield right now until Bader comes back. Yeah, to be fair, the Yankees have been done with rookies all season. They didn't have an (laughs) at-bat by a rookie until three weeks ago. (laughs) For most of the season, at least up until late July, they didn't need it. And uh, they could really use anything at this point. So apparently that those aren't the answers for them at the moment. And uh, next week will be very interesting to see those the lineups that they throw out there. Like you said, Stan is back. He did Homer today. Obviously, Judge is doing what he's doing. I hope his back doesn't act up after carrying everybody else along the way. But uh, that's pretty much it. That's the gist of it in yeah, New York. And as we talked last week, they had been just fine with Aaron Hicks in the outfield most days but after that misplayed fly ball he's not in the lineup today which is not surprising all right when bader comes back he's got quite a he's got quite a hill to climb to make that trade with the jordan montgomery trade worth it at least in the eyes of yankees fans good luck to him on that yeah and good luck to us he had 15 stolen bases in less than a season's worth of plate appearances so that's he can still be a big help there i will uh, be watching It'll only be like two weeks, but he could help a lot in those two weeks. I will be watching with bated breath what he does in those rehab starts. If he steals just one base, I'm going to feel a whole lot better about his chances of actually running when he gets back or when he gets back to the majors. All right. Another IL stint here. This one a little more painful, at least in my brain. Kuiper Ruiz, he goes to the IL catcher for the Nationals. I'm not even going to get into the details, okay? He's on the IL. That's enough. If you want to if you want to do that to yourself and Google why, you're more than welcome to. But he's going to be out for at least the 10 days, and he should get as much rest as possible. Just leave it at that. Bryn, who is filling in behind the plate in Washington, and are they worth looking into if you need to fill his spot, or are you just hoping that there's somebody else out there at the catcher position? Let's first, yeah, you're right about Kyber Ruiz, man. He got a double kick in the balls because he got removed from the Dodgers. So you go from the Dodgers to the Nationals, you got traded, and then you get injured just when you're hitting your stride and have a good season. But I looked at the Nationals lineup or the roster. They have three catchers. This is how the team is in full blow, like rebuilding mode. They're, they have three catchers that they're carrying on their roster. And it's Riley Adams, Trey Barrera, and they just called up Israel Pineda, who's their top catcher prospect. And I looked at him, and he has started the year in high A ball, played well, earned a promotion, has moved up double A, triple A. And now they're letting him get a taste of the good life for a September call-up. What's better than letting one of your best prospects come up for a taste of the major leagues? They're like, hey, Pineda. 
no more days in for you on the road out there. We're staying at the uh, the Hilton Exley over there. You want room service? Enjoy yourself. All you have to do is have a good time in September and have a really good spring training. And this can be your life. Wink, wink. All you have to do is play well. But, but unfortunately, none of those guys are like a, Pineda is kind of like a long-term, long-term guy. But I would say as of right now, today, Fab, pick up somebody, go look and see if Gabriel Moreno is out there. So Toronto has got Danny Jansen. They tried to sneak Zach Collins through the waivers. Ah, tricky Blue Jays. You're, he's DFA'd because he's out of options. They're going to sneak him through. But here's the problem with doing that. Because I don't know if y'all noticed, but the Pittsburgh Pirates don't really engage in free agency. What they do engage is in having some dude look at the, or some lady looking at the DFA waivers. That's their free agency. There's like a corporate so strategy. job. There's like a corporate. Every day, yeah. just, just check it. They don't sign free agents. They pick up people <laughs> off the DFAs out of option waiver wire. Like it, if you go to the Pittsburgh Pirates corporate strategy, handbook and go okay free agent acquisitions you open up it's like chapter six you open it and you're like oh there's one sentence for our strategy it says see dfa waiver wire mid-season you're like how is that a free agent but that's what it is but anyway so long story short so zach collins got picked up by the got claimed by the pirates so the Blue Jays, they're in contention, man. So they called up Moreno, who in 18 games this year hasn't lit the world on fire. He's a rookie, but let's look at it like this. He's their number one prospect in MLB pipeline. He's top 10 prospect out of all prospect. This guy has all the potential in the world. And so he's sitting out there in several leagues. He's going to be a backup. Danny Jansen has a tendency to get hurt and get cold. So you never know when Moreno can just unleash. And at this late stage in the game, that's what we're looking for. Somebody that's got the potential and like an avenue to playing time. And that's what Gabriel Moreno has. So if he's out there and you're looking at, you've got a, maybe a spot for a backup catcher. I think he's the guy. Nice. Be, be interested to see how much playing time he gets now that he's gotten called back up in Toronto with them obviously fighting for I don't know, even the East at this point, uh, but at least holding on to a wild card spot. Kevin, let's go to the Dodgers who are not fighting for anything. They have everything pretty much locked up. And so they can take these kind of moves in stride. Max Muncy received a cortisone shot in his knee after Wednesday's game. And then he proceeded to sit out Friday and Saturday, even after getting the off day on Thursday. With Muncie, are you expecting more of these sporadic missed days or anyone else for that matter on the Dodgers? And does it have an impact on who you're holding and targeting each week moving forward? Yeah, they have this luxury and it's not good for us as fantasy players. Even their their superstars that are healthy, probably going to get some rest days. It makes it tough. It makes it so when we're looking at a schedule, typically we look at five game weeks as, ooh, maybe if this guy's not an elite superstar, maybe I should use somebody else. With the Dodgers, I think that way in a six game week because these guys probably aren't playing every single day. Now, a lot of them have the last week. I shouldn't say a lot of them. Three of them have. Justin Turner played most days. He played all but one, but only the top three in their lineup. Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, and Freddie Freeman played every day. 
this week. And so this is going to happen with the entire lineup. We know that's the way they work and they do this when they are in a tight race, let alone now when they have this wrapped up. So yeah, absolutely. And as far as Max Muncie specifically is concerned, this hurts a lot, right? As for those of us that held on to him or picked him up where people didn't hold on to him. And now over the past three or four weeks, he's been what we expected him to be all season. And now this, it's going to be tough to put him in lineups this week until we see him in the lineup. If I see him in there, I'll go ahead and use him knowing he's probably going to get a couple days off. He does DH quite often anyway. That helps, but going to have to see him in a lineup before I can use him anymore as well. Yeah, I, I venture to guess, like you said, that the Dodgers are going to do this with plenty of players. I do wonder how much goes into their brains as far as like Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, who are still in a race for National League MVP, right? They're still neck and neck with Paul Goldschmidt and others. And whether or not they just won't take them out because they want them with every opportunity to get get their counting stats up, get, pad their stats and get them into an opportunity to place. And it's not the same as in Atlanta where they have two rookie of the year candidates and they, the team is, themselves can actually benefit if at least Michael Harris wins or places. Actually, if anything, the Dodgers might lose out if <laughs> one of these guys, at least monetarily, because I'm sure there's a clause in their contract that says if they place or win any certain awards that they get a nice little bump in pay. But I do, I wonder how that plays in the decision-making process, especially somebody like Betts who has a history of some back issues may want, even though he has showing no signs right now, still giving him a couple of rest days wouldn't be the worst thing in the world so that he's 110% for playoffs. All right, let's get over to, I'm going to give the Royals question to Britain and give Kevin a rest on that one. They got, the Royals got Vinny Pasquantino back from the IL and it also appears Edward Olivera should return in short order after completing more than a few rehab games as of recent. So Britain, what sort of impact do you see the Kansas City lineup with these two back in the fold? I see a huge lineup, not only for Kansas City Royal fans, but for Kevin Hastings specifically, because when Vinny P went on the IL, I don't know if you know this, Adam, I hope I'm not outing Kevin here too bad, but Kevin locked himself in a cold, dark cell. It had no windows and he locked himself in there until Vinny P got back off the IL. And then much like Andy Dufresne from the Shawshank Redemption came out of the room with Vinny P free at last. And Vinny P of course comes back and is sliding right back into the cleanup spot, hitting a double, taking a walk and Vinny P's underlying metrics are the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. He is going to be the impact bat for the Kansas city Royals from here on out, barring injury. Edward Olivares don't know so much about him. I was thinking that Drew Waters may be somebody to watch or Kyle Isbell on the Kansas City Royals. The main impact is Vinny P. And I'm so happy that Kevin has been freed from his solitary confinement with Vinny P back because, hey, if you're a Kansas City Royal fan, I know Vinny P is the, the bee's knees. Kevin, it's good to have you back. I didn't notice a change, awesome. but I am glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, from you've been watching games even without 
Vinny P in the lineup, but like now that he is back, is he knocking anybody out? I completely agree with you, Brian. Like this is an impact bat. Get obviously get him back in your lineup. Hopefully you didn't drop him and you stashed him while you could. Who is he knocking out of that Royals lineup? And is Oliveira going to do the same thing, or is he going to? Is he going to just take a bench role when he comes back? I think Oliveira's will take a bench role. They have several outfielders, and including Michael A. Taylor, and then a bunch of young guys, and he'll get some playing time. The Vinny Pasquantino is going to play every day, and the biggest, the guy that's going to take the biggest hit is Nick Prado. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be. <laughs> it shouldn't be if you ask me or any Royals fan, but rather than have Ryan O'Hearn sit even more often or sit Hunter Dozier, they're going to sit Nick Prado. And it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's what they've shown. They've done it already. <laughs> Pascotino has been back for a day. Prado already sat a game. Yeah, it's tough. We're, we're going to see Ryan O'Hearn and Hunter Dozier instead of Nick Prado in the lineup, especially against lefties. All right, so make those notes if you are still rostering Prado or any of those other guys to what you should be expecting moving forward, at least for the remainder of the season. We'll see what the Royals do in the offseason as far as 2023 opening day goes. Somebody else who's trying to make their way back, Kevin, Mike Soroka, who he's technically already activated from the IL back in early September, but he got sent down to the minors basically rehab sent while he's not actually on the IL. He went four innings in another minor league start just the other day. Is there any reason that you'd be trying to take a chance on Soroka as a flyer in the case he returns back to Atlanta before the end of this current season, never mind looking at 2023? I don't think so. Not until I hear he's going to be back and they have him a targeted start date and even then i don't know most of his numbers during this rehab assignment are pretty good other than the era he's been getting up runs but the, the whip is still decent the strikeouts are there but it just and he's only went four innings and, and i guess he went four and two thirds back in august but is but then he's back to only four innings pitched in his last two starts so i i don't think it's probably he's definitely not worth a stash for me like we've been talking for three or four weeks now but if he were to have a targeted start he's probably not going to go five innings his first time out at least and we're at the end of the season here I just don't see him being of value this season unfortunately coming back from the same injury multiple times, all the hope in the world for him in 2023. And if we don't see him, maybe we get more affordable price going into next season. That'll be interesting to see how that works out, especially what we hear about his health throughout the off season. But yeah, I just don't see there being much he can do for us in the last three and a half weeks. Yeah, that is too bad. The only scenario I see him being even questionably useful is in like a head-to-head league where your league goes all the way to the final week of the season. Your championship is in the week of the season. If you're able to stash him now and plug him into your lineup for that, into your rotation for that final week as like a streamer, 
maybe you have to be in a very specific situation to take that kind of risk. But there's a name to keep an eye out in possibly keeper leagues right now, if you can still stash them and look toward the future. That is an interesting point. I'm in a keeper league where you're not allowed to pick someone up who's on the IL. Officially, he's now off the IL. So you can make a move like that. That's a great point. All right. Britton, we have, uh, he hasn't gotten the IL, but Victor Robles of the Nationals, he's missed the last three games with neck stiffness. Uh, he's been out since, uh, I believe, since Thursday and he missed again today, Saturday, as we're recording this. And though, again, he hasn't been put on the IL. He also hasn't been playing every day anyway. So if he just missed three days in a row, it wouldn't have been, <laughs> he wouldn't have been bad at eye, but it was officially announced he had, he wasn't even an option for these games because of the neck stiffness. Is there, because of his sure absence, does it provide any extra playing time for others? And is any do you see anybody taking advantage of that? Yeah, you had, uh, Victor Robles, your neck gets stiff when you're striking out so much. It hurts. It's called whiplash. I hope he's okay in all seriousness. But this has opened up a opportunity for one of the hottest hitters in baseball. Yes, I'm actually serious. It's an outfielder named Alex Call for the Nationals. In his last nine at-bats, he's got seven hits. Seven out of nine sounds pretty good. Two home runs, nine RBIs (laughs) replacing the injured Richard Robles. I know, that's ridiculous, right? I mean, talk about just some crazy fluke. I get it. But look, they're not going to rush Victor Robles back from any type of injury. It's not like he was killing it anyway. So why not give Alex Call a look for the Nationals? They're obviously in rebuilding mode. We heard about Kyber Ruiz. I won't bring that up again. But yeah, Alex Call is an interesting name to take a look at. And they have several other members too on the Nationals. The big get from the Padres in the the Soto trade was C.J. Abrams. And C.J. Abrams is fascinating because... He's started out slow and he's young, but he was such a hot prospect. And now that he's been called up as an everyday shortstop for the Nationals, he's been batting. He's been 360. He's been getting on base. His key is stolen bases. He's a super fast guy. With Victor Robles out, there are several interesting players to look at, my favorite being Alex, a.k.a. Last Call. (laughs) I don't know if y'all ever heard that. Yeah, I don't know if y'all ever heard this last call for alcohol. I've heard that maybe at the bar at 3 a.m. They say, look, you don't have to quit drinking, but you can't drink here anymore. I may have heard that once or twice in, in my college days. But anyway, so give Alex last call a look because, hey, he's super hot and there, there are four fab periods left. Why not try to find somebody that's super hot and just put them on, put them on your bench spot and see what happens? There you go. Exactly. All right. Let's uh, let's stay in the NL East, Kevin, and we'll go down to it back down to Atlanta, who should be getting back their everyday second baseman, Ozzy Albies. He's looking to return soon after uh, finishing a bunch of rehab stints as well in AAA. What kind of adjustments are you foreseeing Atlanta making once he does return? Does does Albies play every day after coming off of this kind of an injury? Where does Von Vrusham go? There, there are a lot of questions here. There, there's a lot of questions that we're not going to know the answers to until we see what happens. And it's, it, 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 this is frustrating. <laughs> like we, we talked last week about, yeah, fantasy baseball is fun. This is one of those really frustrating things that 
if we guess wrong is going to make it not so much fun. Now, I was wrong when Vaughn Grissom first came up. I thought Albies would be back a little sooner than it has ended up being. And I thought he would be the one to lose out on playing time. Back then, we still had minor league seasons going. I thought he'd get sent right back down quite possibly. I did the exact same thing. Yeah, but he has performed so well, that's difficult to fathom. And the minor league seasons are over. He's not going anywhere. But it's hard to fathom him losing out on playing time. Now, he's been working out in left field. And Marcel Azuna, in spite of his off-the-field issues, has been playing left field nearly every day. As Eddie Rosario and Robbie Grossman in a pretty strict platoon going there in right field. It really looks like, if I had to guess, I think most days Vaughn Grissom is the new left fielder and Ozzy Albies is playing second base. And this could all be different. If Ronald Acuna Jr. was healthy enough to not be taken up the DH spot, the biggest frustration for me is William Contreras has only played one day this week because Ronald Acuna Jr. is in the DH spot and Travis Darno is at cost every game but yeah. one. So it this is a frustrating situation in Atlanta because, like, quite frankly, they have more players that could be fantasy not just relevant but really Impact, help our fantasy sure. teams that then they have room for and to this add bringing albies back is just another thing that that throws another wrench here and dansby swanson typically when either acuna jr or albies has missed time in the past dansby swanson has moved up in the lineup from his six or seven spot how do you move him out of that two spot with how he's performed this year? So I don't even know what they're going to do with the lineup. I would guess they, that Albie starts out lower in the lineup since he has missed, missed so much time and needs to work his way back up. But they could put him right back at the top, and then we're losing plate appearances from Dansby Swanson, who's having a great year. This, Like I said, we're not going to know till we see it. Yeah, I think – the only go to to call back to something I said earlier with the Dodgers. I think the only one safe is Michael Harris, who again, the Atlanta wants him to win rookie of the year so they get that draft pick. So they're going to want him to pad his bench stats. Not that besides teammate Spencer Strider, anybody's really competing in the National League for that against him, but I would venture to guess he's he might get a routine day rest, but it's not going to be like any kind of a platoon situation. In that he might even move up another spot in the lineup. He's up to he, he was nine. Now he's been six or seven alternating back and forth. I could see him putting him above Darno too, just to get him a couple extra plate appearances for that reason. That would be, I would appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go over to St. Louis. We got another call up Britain. They placed Dylan Carlson on the IL and they replaced him with prospect Alec Burleson, who has been playing the outfield since. Are you interested in any of the Cardinals devil magic coming across with this new outfielder? It tends, they tend to do that, especially with their with both their own prospects and those who they bring in from outside the organization. Aren't the Cardinals amazing? The whole National League this year has just taken over. You've got the Dodgers, number one. You've got Atlanta, number two. And as Kevin was just saying, Atlanta's got so many good players. They don't know where to put them all in their coming. Ozzy Albies is coming back. 
So yeah, the National League is stacked. And of course, St. Louis is stacked too. And they, with Dylan Carlson on the IL, they called up Alec Burleson, who is a master, kind of a Vinny P. Kevin, don't get too excited, but a Vinny P type batter, lefty bat, big power. He crushed International League. He crushed minor league pitching, including one of my cities I used to live in, Memphis, Tennessee, at the Triple A Park. Shout out Memphis, Tennessee, at the Triple A AutoZone Park, where they serve in the stands for your pleasure. And I think Kevin and I talked about this too. One time, barbecue nachos from the rendezvous. You can get those if you go visit AAA in Memphis, Tennessee. But so Alec Burleson, I digress of barbecue. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I got a little excited there. Anyway, Alec Burleson, he's a power bat. He's a great hitter. He is a free swinger. So he's one of those guys you keep an eye on because of course, the Cardinals, much like the Dodgers and the Braves, they're stacked in the outfield, too. They have Lars Newtbar, Corey Dickerson, who is a former gold glove out in the left field. but And Tyler O'Neill has been hitting it, too. But it kind of looks like Burleson will DH against righties. Of course, we all know Albert Pujols is also in the mix for DHing. But, yeah, I'm excited about Alec Burleson because he can hit, and he's one of those players that you keep an eye on. You can get him for literally like a buck or two fab, and he can take off in a New York minute, give you like an Adam Duvall-type power surge back from last year. But, yeah, in any power hitter from the Cardinals, I'm definitely interested in. It seems as though, again, Dahl couldn't come down to playing time, and if he can force his way into that lineup on a regular basis due to the power source that you're talking about, he would be, at the very least, a nice stash for this week and get them in the lineup for the for the final three weeks. Cardinals also, they have a decent little cushion, or they're going to win their division most likely. They could give an opportunity to him down the stretch and give some guys some extra rest as well. All right, Kevin, the last note here I got is that just today, the Mets put Starling Marte on the IL, and they are set to call up Matt Vientos to replace him on the roster. What kind of expectations do you have for this call-up as you see the Mets swapping out the, the veteran Marte for Vientos. Yeah, this is tough. It, I I don't know that he's going to get a lot of playing time either. And until I see it and see him in the lineup, I'm just not going to count on it. They're, they want Tyler Naquin in the lineup versus righties. They want Daniel Vogelbach in the lineup versus righties. They face seven right-handed starting pitchers this coming week as things stand right now. So even if we see Vientos in the lineup tomorrow when they're set to face a lefty, or Sunday, I should say, to avoid any confusion, we're just not going to know for a while. And I don't have room on my rosters for a wait and see right now. I would guess most of his playing time comes against lefties. And then I, in that case, I'm not going to want him on my roster anyway, especially in a week where they're facing seven right-handed starting pitchers. Yeah, I don't see I don't see him getting a lot of playing time at least right off the bat. That's fair and obviously you got to look at that schedule moving forward and as you mentioned who they're facing. Obviously he could come in as a pinch hitter later on in the game or what have you, but that's doing next to nothing for you unless you are again in the most desperate of situations. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for our news and notes section of this episode. As always, I'm sure we missed a whole bunch of stuff worth noting. Keep up with all the news of the day. Make sure you're listening to the First Pitch Podcast with Chad Young, Scott Chu, and Daniel Port. 
They break down the news highlights and observations from every day's worth of games, as well as looking ahead at each slate to keep you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy league. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to talk to Britton about some other news that did come through just on Friday. This is the section where we will talk about news that doesn't necessarily have to do with fab. I'll leave it at that. But before we do that, we will take this quick break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, guys, we are back. Of course, you are listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined every week with Kevin Hastings. And our guest this week, Britton Allen, is joining us. We're going to talk about some news that we don't normally talk about in this, on this podcast because it doesn't really affect your fab bidding for this weekend or the rest of the year. And of course, it's the big rule that everybody's going to be talking about. So I want to make sure we got some thoughts in here early on and it'll be a constant barrage of information on Twitter and in articles and on podcasts. But of course, Major League Baseball did vote to change a couple rules going into the 2023 season. There'll be addition of a pitch clock. And from my understanding, it'll be a 20 second pitch clock when there is a runner on base. Otherwise, it'll be a 15 second pitch clock when the bases are empty. They are going to ban the shift, which from my again, my understanding, that means that all the four infielders, two infielders have to be to the left and right of second base, and both feet have to be on the dirt. Some interesting note that I did read was that it doesn't stop an outfielder for coming into the infield to start a play as well. So it just means that the four infielders have to be on opposite side of second base. And then they are going to, I don't have the number exactly, but they are going to increase the size of the bases on the base pass for second and third. So with that in mind, Brent, I'm going to let you get your thoughts out here first. I just want you guys to talk about, is this, are these things going to affect, if you were to do a draft tomorrow, which there's already been at least one DC draft happening. If you, were to, do a draft, if you were to do a draft tomorrow, is it going, is this rule alone, these things, this announcement alone going to affect how you are drafting and get into as much granularity or generality as you like? Can you imagine three more historical or impactful rule changes in the history of baseball other than maybe the inter- integration of yeah, or um, moving the mound? Or, or, yeah. Like, yeah, raising uh, yeah. So you're instituting a pitch clock that's going to be vigorously enforced, stepping on, stepping off, pickoff attempts, things like that. So those are going to change how pitchers approach every single batter and every single runner. Then the shift, which is going to impact every single left-handed batter and every other batter too. But And then the bases that are changing. And when you look at it, you're like, oh, what's a couple more inches here or there? But as if you would ask 
any lady out there, every <laughs> bigger is better. And it's going to 100% change how people run bases, steal bases, and the and more activity on base running. Literally, it's going to change the game so much. I don't think you can even really try to evaluate or even try to consider it unless you have some data to look at. And the only thing that you can look at is what's happened in the minor leagues. But then, of course, you're talking about minor league players, not big league hitters, not big league pitchers. It's, it, but that's what we've got. And the thing that changed the most was the, the game time was cut significantly and stolen bases were up 20%. But of course, in the minor league, stolen bases are also up no matter what. But yeah, it's shocking that these changes came through. And it's not speaking from a fab or, or anything like that. Think about how much the game has changed. And a lot of this came from COVID. I think because the that changed how that changed the DH that pushed all these the shortened season and all those issues like it pushed things to the forefront of things are changing in our world and here are some very mental steps to change the game of baseball where you know 90% of the people that love and follow a baseball are set in, in in one way and don't necessarily maybe are open to change, but these are like so progressive steps to move the game forward. It's phenomenal. And the it started with the shortened COVID, the season in 2020, and then bringing in the DH. And then I, I was all for the DH. I don't want to, I pitchers hit and all that kind of stuff. Not super interested in that, but move things forward. And this is like the next step to get the game faster, get more base runners, get more activity. And that's a really long winded answer to your question. But yeah, it's going to change everything is in long story short. What I'm the very generalities that I'm seeing is obviously like you mentioned, stolen bases are up 20% in the minor leagues almost exclusively due to the pitch clock and the amount of pitch outs that they're allowed to have. I'll, I'll, the other part of the rule with that is that pitchers will only be allowed two pitch outs during an, during an at-bat. Right. They are still allowed to throw over a third time, but if the runner is called safe from that pitch out, then they get a balk and the runner gets to advance. But if they're called out, it's out. That's it is what it is. So they can throw over a third time. Sure. Um, but Tucker Davidson, if you go back and look at his Twitter earlier in the season, he from when he was with the Braves in their minor league system earlier on in 2022, he went into detail about it's a long, really good thread. You should read it and just his experience with the pitch clock and how difficult it is to hold runners based on not only the time clicking down, but also the amount of pitch outs that you're allowed to give. Kevin, what I'm going to ask you about specifically is... Which one of, at least the first two, the bigger basis thing, I think that's going to have a small impact, but that's going to be the hardest thing to measure, I think, until we, like Britton said, we have more data. Assuming that the pitch clock does increase the number of stolen bases in the major league, at the major league level next year, whether it's really fast guys taking full advantage and hitting 60, 70 stolen bases rather than 30 to 40 stolen bases, or making an average runner uh, just more aggressive on the base pass because they have a, a, a stronger opportunity and spreading out the stolen bases. I think those are the two things that we need to keep in mind. Or the shift ban that is going to obviously affect ground ball hitters who get shifted on. It may not affect fly ball pitchers. I think I saw a tweet from, from Rob Silver 
uh, earlier in the week or like a day or two ago, specifically talking about Joey Gallo, how he, unless he starts hitting the ball on the ground more often, the, the shift ban is not really going to affect him as much as I think as other people think. With that in mind, which one of these two things are you going to be thinking about more as you are making your draft list for 2023? Pitch clock exclusively. The, the shift band is negligible to me at best. The, I remember four or five years ago, when we first started talking about the shift as more teams started to do it more often, I was reading at the time, we just remember things that, that happened that we're not used to seeing or things that we don't think are normal. It just doesn't happen that often. At the time, I remember thinking that it affected like one to two hits per week per team. That's not a lot especially if we start talking per player for our purposes in this game that we play. So I don't care about the shift ban at all. Uh, even the most extreme guys that may actually have a little bit of effect on, it's not enough for me to worry about with everything else we have to worry about. Now the pitch clock, there are so many things. Eno Saris has already talked about. This means lower velocity for pitchers with less rest, but, between pitchers and shorter outings because of less rest between pitches. I know just looking at the Kansas city Royals, only one pitcher on their roster averages less than 20 seconds per pitch between pitches right now. That's Brady singer. And he averages 19.5, which is four and a half seconds more than he's going to be allowed to do. If nobody's on base, right? right? This is <laughs> huge velocity down for everybody and shorter outings for starting pitchers and maybe even shorter outings for relievers that are used to going multiple innings at max effort, right? <laughs> this is huge. And stolen bases, some of the stuff that, that you've talked about all season long, Adam, I'm going to be hitting you up all offseason for this information. That It's not going to affect the guys that take their opportunities. You can't, this isn't going to add stolen base opportunities. So the guys that take their opportunities, it's not going to affect. I don't think we're going to have the 80 stolen base guy that some people have been tweeting about. I think a guy like Nate Lowe, who last year had eight stolen bases, and it was the talk in all the offseason was, and I think it was Zach Waxman that pointed out to us it was a specific opportunity in each case. But a guy like that has the ability to do it when he does have the opportunity, he's only got two stolen bases this season. I think that goes back up, maybe even double digits for a guy like that. Those are the guys that I'm going to be really interested in. The guys that can steal bases were given the right opportunity, but the, they're not always turned loose. They're going to be turned loose more often. The guys that were used to stealing a lot of bases are probably already taking most of the opportunities they have as is. So it is pitch clock far and away, probably more in my opinion than most people think. And the shift ban far less than most people think, almost negligible in my opinion. Yeah, I do. I think it'll be more, even less so on a player by player basis and more on a team by team basis as far as who takes advantage of the pitch clock when we're talking about stolen bases. The teams that are already running aggressively will take more control over over the situation. They'll take advantage of the situation. And obviously, they've got a whole, every team has a whole like, team of people behind the scenes that are looking into whether or not it'll be worth it 
to do so, obviously. Stolen bases have been going down here. And and part of that will be as simple as looking at what their minor league teams are doing. Sure. They, their the developmental coaches are going to say, hey, these guys are used to doing this already. We've been teaching this for two seasons now. Right. And some teams probably, even though it's up to some minor leagues, are up 30%. Britain said the 20% overall. Some specific leagues, it's been as high as 30% increase in stolen bases. I wonder if every single team has taken advantage and if there's some that haven't that's probably an organizational decision and i'm going to take that into consideration next year as well so last question for both of you and Brent, i'll start with you again we're going to hammer this stolen base opportunity thing here but are you do you think that this will stop pushing up stolen bases in at least nfbc drafts where we see if you don't steal if you're not stealing more than 20 bases, you're not being considered in the first two rounds, et cetera, et cetera. Assuming that the stolen bases are going to get spread out to even more to more players, or do you think you'd rather be pushing up the guy that could take advantage of jumping up from the Bobby Witts, jumping up from 30 to 40 to 50 stolen bases? Do you think that's going to have an impact in ADP? Yes, I do. And I think Kevin made such a great point. It's not obviously your speed guys like CJ Abrams, like they're going to steal no matter what the base size is. It's the guys like Nate Lowe, like first baseman, third baseman. Like what one of the reasons why, you know, Paul Goldsmith was so great in all those years, because he was like one of the only first basemen that stole a bunch of bases. And couldn't it also push up catchers too, like JT Real Moto? Like he's a catcher that steals 20 bases. And players these days, they know what war is. They know when they go to arbitration, if you're a catcher and you hit 20 home runs, you get X amount of money because your war equals this. If you're a catcher and you hit 20 home runs and you have 15 stolen bases, your war goes up and your representatives, your agent, your wife, they're all telling you, hey, get your war up because that means more money. Arbiters, those people, all these arbitration hearings like, they don't look they don't look at games. Those are those people have never watched a baseball game in their life. They look at war and all the numbers and say if you have X war, you get X amount of money. And baseball players today aren't from five even 10, 20 years ago. They know all this stuff. And if you steal bases, it increases your war, whether that's right, wrong, or the other. But that's just a mathematical fact. So yeah, I think it's going to increase it because Mike Trout back in the day, before he got his big contract, he was stealing bases. He doesn't do that much anymore. And I don't think it's out of left field, pun intended, or center field, I guess, that Aaron Judge just happened to have the highest stolen bases of his career this year because that war daddy number is going to go way up on top of the home runs. But yeah, so yeah, I think it's all, I think it's player driven. And it's going to be money driven because if you're a player and you steal bases, your war is higher. It's really that simple. Kevin, are you spreading out your stolen bases in ADP or are you going to, you think you're going to push those up? Do you think the field is going to push them up even more so because of this? I think the field will push them up. I'm not certain yet. Like I said, I'm going to hitting you up for some of this info in the off season. <laughs> and it doesn't matter in many cases. Like it, in so many cases, I'm going to be looking at what guys like Todd Zola is going to crunch numbers and tell us what we should do. I'm going to do some of that myself based on 
I, I know you already have a lot of this research done. I'm going to be hitting you up. Others are going to do the same. But I think in general, I think the guys that we already know, steel bases are going to get pushed up even further that, than we're used to. And my hope is the numbers tell us that's not what we should do because that's when we can take advantage. And sure. my inclination is I think that could be the case. I think it's going to be guys that we don't think of as stolen base guys that are going to reap the benefit of this. And so then that's a huge advantage if most people are pushing the traditional stolen base guys up. Especially if you're doing one of these very early drafts in October or November before a lot of the high-end research has been published or at least even teased or announced ADP is going to change. It's I'm waiting all- for your article yep. at Pitcher List on this, Adam. I want it. I want <laughs> I it. Appreciate before, the pressure. I, I want it before the end of the league championship series. I want this done. <laughs> I want to be able to read this. <laughs> all right, I gotta. I'm gonna tune out here. You guys finish the episode. I'm gonna go work on this. <laughs> all right, guys. We'll see where all that ends up in the weeks and months ahead. But for now, let's let's. Let's put our eyes directly on this coming week and let's give the listeners some names that they can consider for their fab pickups this coming this Sunday evening. And we are going to stick with our normal order of operations here. But first, we had a quick question from at Triple Play Fantasy. And I want to get you guys take like we got four weeks left. The question is, how much money do you guys have? to even work with when we're going after these players that we're recommending in your typical 12 teamer and or 15 teamer, if there's a major difference. Now I know Britain, you said that your 26 leagues on NFBC are all draft and holds, but you got a couple fabs elsewhere as well. But uh, Kevin, I know you've got more than a handful of fab leagues as well. I'm working with, I think I talked about this last week in my 12 teamers, mostly the, in our listener leagues. I only got a little bit less this week since I spent like over a hundred bucks last week on pretty much anybody I wanted. I'm still in a like three to $400 range for the last three weeks. So I'll be probably spending a good hundred dollars a week going through my roster with a fine tooth comb. My 15 teamers, a lot less. And this happens to me every year, honestly. Like I always have way less money in my 15 teamers. I'm making a lot more moves in those 15 teamers on top of the fact that my 12 teamers, I also know I don't have to typically, I don't have to spend as much money throughout the course of the year on any given week to pick up the guys I want. And I always have conditional bids, even in 12 teamers. So I can save that kind of money unless a big name does pop up and I really want them. But how are you guys, Kevin, how are you looking in your various leagues? As we talked last week, I was down to $2 in one. That is now zero. So I range from zero to about $100. However, in most leagues, I have about 30 or 40 bucks left, which is about what I plan on at the beginning of the season. I plan on spreading it out throughout the season. And anybody listening that's listened before knows that we're pretty conservative with our bids, both of us here. But it's at the last month of the season. I'm not counting on there being any big names or anybody that is really going to have a huge effect. We talked about Josh Young earlier in the show. Britain's 100% correct. He's a must-add in every league. He'll be on my all of my bid lists, but I probably won't get him in many. And at this point in the year, it's not just because I am by choice bidding low. It's out of necessity. I'm saving. I'm saving three or four dollars 
for that final half week of the season. Five or six dollars for the last full week before. That means I have 10 to 15 dollars for these next two weeks to spend. If I really think someone can really help my team, if I really think they can contribute to a category that can gain me multiple points, I can possibly see blowing most of what I have left at this point. And then just hoping, hoping the no injuries. Cause we're at the point where saving it might not do me any good. We're at that point. We have to do things we wouldn't do earlier in the season. If we want to give ourselves a chance and we're not going to have that chance. If we just play it by the book that we have set for written for ourselves for the year, I'm about where I expect it to be in most leagues, some quite a bit less, some a little more, but yeah, typically I have 30 or $40 left in thousand dollar fab leagues. Would you find yourself in a situation now that you expect yourself to be in? As Kevin mentioned, do you budget in that way or have things come up? (laughs) Things have completely gone off the rails in the 15 teamers. I'm over aggressive. Like a a 115 team, I'm in, excuse me, I bet I, I spent all my fab on Michael Harris. Like, If I see that one player that I just absolutely have to have, I go for it. The 12 teamers are different. I've still got half my money, and I think I'm under aggressive in the 12 teamers, even though here we are with only four or five periods left. But uh, yeah, there's just something about it. And and those 15 teamers, I feel like it's now or never. So I go, oh yeah, I go crazy. All right, then let's get some players. That's why the people are here listening. They want to know who they should be considering. And every, especially this time of year though, everybody listening, just keep in mind, every roster is different. This is why we break it down by category. You may not need any speed. You might have 25 stolen bases more than the next lowest person. You don't really care. You're probably skipping ahead 15, the next five or 10 minutes into the next category. That's, you know what? That's okay. But we're going to go through each category anyway. We'll start with our power category category guys who Kevin we'll start here with you who might be again who might be hitting a couple bombs this coming week that you're going to want on your teams if you need that power yeah shallower leagues AJ Pollock is pretty widely available he is 100% rostered in the 15 team main events 90% in the 12 team online championships but only 27% on Yahoo I know that's three outfielders typically, smaller rosters, but I think 10-team leagues. But when he's healthy, he's a top 30 outfielder. So he's healthy right now. Things are going well. Also, the White Sox are set to face three left-handed starters this week in their six games. And on the season, he's hitting 294 with 10 of his 11 home runs on the season versus lefties. So where he's available, I like A.J. Pollock. Deeper leagues, Kerry Carpenter still available in over half of 15 team leagues and everywhere else. He's only 2% rostered in the online championship, 1% on Yahoo. He had 30 home runs in only 400 plate appearances, AA and AAA this season before coming up to the Tigers. And in spite of the... Tigers lineup. I talked a little bit the last couple of weeks about it. it's hard to use guys in the lineups like this at this point in the season because of our other 
counting stats. We're counting on the entire lineup to, to be, to, to produce for us so that we can get runs so that we can get RBIs, but he's hitting enough home runs and getting on base often enough that he's scoring multiple runs each scoring period since he's come up and he doesn't play every day. He's a platoon guy. Fortunately, he's the strong side of the platoon and hopefully there might be less of that down the stretch. The Tigers aren't going anywhere. Maybe they see what he can do against everybody and that would be an added bonus but he's he's hitting home runs and driving people in and scoring runs he's actually scoring runs at a higher rate than driving them in which has been great for his stat lines and he's doing it while hitting 270 this has been 19 games now 70 plate appearances and he's still hitting 270 at the major league level only striking out 24 percent of the time that's not amazing, but for a guy with his power, slugging 508, that's pretty darn good. Yeah, you, I think a lot of people, myself included, just stop looking at the Tigers as right. an option. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, they, these names go, they go to the wayside, they go unnoticed. You got to, obviously, you got to look through the uh, the entire league. So I appreciate that call out for sure. Who, who might you be looking at if you need some power this week? I love Cal Raleigh from the Seattle Mariners. He's their everyday catcher. And of course, he's he's well known. He's going to be rostered in, in all your main event leagues. But if you're like me and you're playing in Yahoo and Fantasy, Fantrax leagues, he's only 50% rostered. And he had a 1.430 OPS and five home runs last week. He has hit a power surge. And I just love that whole vibe from the Seattle team. Like I'm, I'm from Nashville. I've, I've never been to Seattle, but I just, I feel like that is an exciting team to watch. Julio Rodriguez, Ty France is hitting well. I just, it's just a great vibe up there. And Cal Raleigh too is a young guy, starting catcher. And man, he is on a hot, streak five home runs it's so great so if you're in a league like me like fan tracks or something like that he is definitely somebody to go look at as for a power source out of your catcher position which is great yeah especially in those leagues where you only have the one catchers he's still very much available and very much useful <laughs> probably more useful than who you have going on oh yeah with the hot team too that i love it it's so good to be on a team that's feeling that mojo feeling that surge especially because seattle's trying to make their first postseason appearance in what like three Too decades sure. yeah i don't even know but i love trying to find those players that are just riding the wave with mm -hmm. the julio rodriguez of the world and this is one of those guys <laughs> there you go all right, let's get out of the power category into our speed category. If you're looking for the stolen bases, if you still need some runs, Kevin, who might you be looking at this come, this week? Ah, like I said last week, the pressure's on, Adam, because we we've, we're on a pretty good run on these callouts over the past <laughs> five, six weeks now. This is going pretty good. And I got a couple of guys this week, but they're not guys that are going to help anywhere else. Andrew Velasquez has started running again. He had went a, a couple of weeks there. With, without any attempts, he can't hit. He's hit to your batting average. If that's a concern, you don't need him. He's not going to provide anything else. But if you need stolen bases, he's back at it. In fact, he had another one on Saturday. So he's up to 16 on the season now. And he's somebody that is widely available. 
because he's not good at anything else. The other guy doesn't even <laughs> play good at his job. <laughs> the other guy doesn't even play except to steal bases. Terrence Gore has three World Series rings and might get a fourth since he's been <laughs> added to the Mets roster in time to be on the postseason roster. That teams have done this before. Added him right at the last possible second, put him on the roster so he's eligible for the postseason to do nothing but pinch run. And it's already worked. He did not have a plate appearance in the game for the Mets that he stole a base. So the advantage there is you're still not getting anything else, but he's not going to hurt your batting average at all he did get one plate appearance in another game for the mets i believe he still has more stolen bases than plate appearances for his career <laughs> by quite a bit so there, there's no guarantee he's going to get in a game the mets have a seven game week i feel pretty confident we see at least one stolen base out of terrence score this week like we always say, you get one stolen base out of somebody, that's a 26 stolen base pace that you'll take that every day, especially if you are scrimping and scraping in that category. Britton, you got your eyes on anybody, any other speedsters or run producers this coming weekend? I've got my eyes on Elvis Andrus, who is playing for the White Sox right now. And I know I get it like old beat up Elvis Andrus, and he's been in the league for so long. But he's 34 years old. I'm 45. I wish I could go back to 34. I can't. We consider 34 years old. But he's been hitting at the top of the White Sox lineup. And he has been red hot. More like white hot. So White Sox hot, right? He's hitting at the top of the order. He's been batting 303 with 10 runs scored this month. Today, he stayed hot. He went two for five with a home run. And I think we forget just what a prolific base dealer he has been throughout his entire career. And I know he's on the back end of his career, but he still knows how to steal bases. He's had stolen bases of 42, 25, 31, three years ago. So Elvis Andrus is at that point in his career where he's on the back end. This is kind of Oakland kind of got rid of him. And the, so he signed with the White Sox. And so he's batting lead off and he's on a mission and he's red hot right now. And I think he's somebody to look at because most people are just going to say, oh, El Elvis Andrus, give me a break. I want nothing to do with that. But if you look at his numbers recently, he's scoring runs, he's getting on base and he is going to steal bases. So I really like Elvis Andrus. Yeah, he is. I love this call. And Tim Anderson in many ways. And he's outproducing what Tim Anderson was doing, quite frankly. And Tim Anderson is not expected back until the postseason. So we don't care about that. Uh, he really helps in every category. He came over to the White Sox on the 19th and already has four home runs and two stolen bases. And now for the past 10 games uh, has hit in that leadoff spot. So he's going to get the plate appearances. This is one of those rare finds for this time of year. Britton, you talk about this is what your podcast is all about. This guy leading off. That is so huge that we have a leadoff hitter that is producing available to us at this time of year. And just because of his age and his drop off to an extent over the past couple of seasons, 
people aren't even going to pay any attention to it. Yeah, currently rostered in 70% of the main event, only 10% in online championships going into this past week. Would expect those numbers to to raise quite considerably after this fat period. All right, let's get into some guys that might have some good opportunity ahead of themselves. A lot of games to be played this week across the league. They there are a couple, there are more than a handful of teams that only have a five day work week. But on the other side of that, Tampa Bay, Toronto, Cleveland, Houston, Miami, the Mets, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, and Arizona have no days off. Boston, Baltimore, New York Yankees. Seattle, Washington, and Colorado. They are the teams that have two days off. Colorado also on top of that is away for all five of those days. So you can safely leave them off of your fab bid list if they're hitters. There are a few doubleheaders, more than a few doubleheaders this coming week. On Monday, Texas is at Miami for two. On Tuesday, Tampa Bay will play two in Toronto and Pittsburgh will play two in Cincinnati. On Saturday, Minnesota will play two in Cleveland while Cincinnati plays two more in in St. Louis. So a whole lot of doubleheaders that'll give some teams a couple extra games. So despite the one day off, St. Louis and Minnesota still have seven games. Cincinnati has nine games. Kevin, you talked about that last week. And then a couple teams have eight, thanks to the doubleheaders of Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Toronto. They have eight. And on top of that, Toronto will be home all week. They will be hosting Tampa and Baltimore throughout the course of the week. Just as a note, the last time Tampa Bay went up to Toronto, Brooks Raley and Ryan Thompson, they were on the restricted list. And then the last time the Orioles went up across the border, Anthony Santander and Keegan Aiken, they were on the restricted list as well. So all their rosters are a little bit different. They're going to have some new players. We'll have to wait and see if there's any new names or if any status has changed for these two, these four four guys but if you have if you are rostering any of these guys especially like Santander or even Rayleigh in in or Aiken if you're playing if you were hoping to plan on streaming him for whatever reason then uh, you want to make a note of that so with all that in mind guys Britt I'm going to start with you who looks like they could take advantage of the opportunities ahead of themselves for this coming week Okay, I know this is a little off the beaten path because when you think about the Yankees, you think about Aaron Judge, but I've been looking at Isaiah Conner-Falafel. I know he's had a rough start to the year, but he has been red hot lately. They, The Yankees, because of injuries and, and other issues, have batted him clean up. And as a result, in September, he's hit two, two home runs and has stolen three bases in the heart of the lineup, but he's been thrown away. But He's really heating up, and he's one of three players in the Yankees that plays every day. It's Judge, Torres, and Isaiah Conoflifa. But he's one of these players that can impact your batting average, home runs, and stolen bases here at the end. So I really think that he's somebody to look at as one of those contributors that you, it's just going to be hard to find at this time of year. Yeah, when you move Judge to the leadoff spot to get him more at-bats and more opportunities for hitting home runs, somebody's got to get moved up <laughs> into that cleanup spot, and IKF is filling that role. Nicely, I know, as you mentioned. <laughs> I know, batting cleanup. It's crazy, but this is what's going on with the Yankees, and if you're batting, <laughs> if you're batting cleanup for the Yankees, I really like that opportunity. There you go. All right, Kevin, anybody else out there looking to take advantage of the opportunity or the extra games that they have this week? Yeah, this is pretty specific to either daily leagues or NFBC where we split the week. Michael Chavis gets a trip to Cincinnati for the first three days this week and is set to face two left-handers. 
he's hit much better against lefties this season. Eight of his home runs and only 165 plate appearances is nice as well. And when I really wanted to find somebody to take advantage of their series against Cincinnati, either a pirate this week or a Cardinal. Now the, the Cardinals we like are highly rostered in most leagues. Nobody really worth bringing up, but I asked you, Adam, when Todd Zola was with us, been almost a month ago now, I think at least three weeks ago, if there had been much of a difference in what the angels were doing to stop stolen bases with, with Thor gone and they're still bad, but Cincinnati <laughs> has blown past them. Cincinnati has blown past them. They have given up far more stolen bases for the entire season on a per game basis than even the angels. And so they play nine games this week. I thought it would be easy to find somebody that's going to steal bases against the reds. And I, I really could not find that. However, a guy like Michael Chavis does have a stolen base on the year. Might vulture one here, but I'm not using him just because I think he's going to steal a base. He's also at Great American Small Park facing two lefties for the first half of the week. So I think he's a good all-round play. But the possibility that he might snag a base against him is, would just be icing on the cake. Yeah, that <laughs> there's so many variables that go into the fact that Cincinnati has given up all of those, all hey, those I, I, I got to imagine that losing Tyler Stevenson from that moment on, yep. I'm sure is where the uh, uptick went. It's not even close. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yes. And yes, if you are rostering Michael Chavis because you're looking for the stolen base, then you're listening to the wrong, you're not listening right. to this show correctly. Sorry. Right. Uh, and, but in, <laughs> but bonus in my draft and holds, if there's a tiebreaker, between using go. a guy, Chavis is probably going to be in a couple of my lineups for the first half of the week. There you go. Yeah. All right, let's get into our pitchers then, guys. Let's get away from hitters, get into our pitchers. We're just looking at this coming week. We do away with looking too far ahead now since there's only four fab periods left. So we're looking at our counting stats. Brittany, I'm going to start with you here. Wins and Ks in your standard 5x5 five five categories. These are your counting stats that typically starters have to do with. So who might you be looking at this coming week that has a good opportunity to get you a win and or rack up some case if you need them? I'm going to steal one of Kevin's favorite guys. That's Hunter Brown. I absolutely love Hunter Brown. He's a starting pitcher for the Houston Astros. Plus velocity, plus curve. And his first win over Texas, he allowed three hits, one walk while striking out five batters over six scoreless innings. It's what is it with the Houston Astros? I don't know. I, they just they rack up such great talent as far as pitching goes. Of course, you got Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, Lance McCullers, Luis Garcia. It's like the list never ends, and the rich get richer with Hunter Brown, who is their four year old phenom in the organization, and now he's coming up. And I think he is somebody that playing for a great organization, a great team with the stuff to do it. I think he's a must add. It doesn't look like Verlander's coming back this coming week through a bullpen session, I think, on Friday. They're not going to be rushing him back. They're just going to want him warm enough for the playoffs. And so he'll come back before the end of the regular season, but no reason to rush him back this week. So Brown should get 
the, his two starts for the Astros this week, both on Monday and over the weekend. Kevin, you got a, a couple other guys on here. Won't you let us know in what order you might be looking at these guys? Yeah, and the other thing about Hunter Brown, he couldn't have two better matchups for a right-handed pitcher. He gets the Tigers and the A's in the same week <laughs> if Verlander's not back next Sunday. That's worth a large chunk of your fab money in and of itself, even if this is the only two starts he makes all season. And it's matchups I'm looking at in the other places I'm going. The Texas Rangers are a... a a top seven or eight team versus left-handed pitching, but they're bottom five versus righties. And Luis Patino is available out there. He's scheduled to to get a start against the Rangers next weekend. So I really like Patino against the Rangers. And then I like a couple of Rangers pitchers due to their matchups. I've brought this guy up multiple times this season, almost exclusively when it's a two-start week, definitely when it's good matchups. Glenn Otto, the walks are still an issue. This is something that could backfire. This is a guy that if you really are in need of wins and strikeouts and it's worth risking the ratio blow up, he's got a couple of nice matchups. He gets Miami the absolute best team or one of the best teams that, that we can face in the league. And then he gets Tampa Bay next weekend. Tampa has not been very good against righties this season, probably worse than most people realize. So this, I expect double digit strikeouts from Glenn Otto this week, hopefully at least one win and hopefully doesn't blow up my ratios. <laughs> and the same can be said in one start for Dane Dunning, another guy that's been pretty good some starts, not great others, but he gets the Oakland Athletics this week. So I'll take my chances there where I need a guy, and he's available as well. Nice, nice. A lot of options there. which is Many more options than last week. Yes, I would sure. say that, which is not normally the case <laughs> this yeah. time of year, uh, which is nice. All right, let's look at chipping away at our ratios, guys, our ERA, our whip. This, a lot of people think it's a little bit too difficult to do with this late in the season. But again, these are the categories that can move both up and down for anybody. So people could be getting blown up and moving down towards you. And you can chip away and move yourself up as well. So don't forget about them. Kevin, I'm going to start with you here and who might be helping you chip away at those ratios this coming week or beyond. Yeah, when I brought up Karen Check a couple of weeks ago, you talked about there being multiple options in the Cleveland bullpen. And I really like Sam Hinges as well. He gets multiple innings quite often. In fact, three of his last four have been four outs or more two of those being two full innings and zero earned runs during that time, 60 strikeouts and 53 innings pitched on the season. I know we're talking about ratios here, but the strikeouts are an added bonus. Uh, and, and he does have the ratios that we're talking about here, a 2.72 ERA on the season. He's given up one earned run since the all-star break. It's amazing what he and, as you mentioned, other guys in that Cleveland bullpen have been doing for most of the season now. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, you know, these bullpen guys that are playing on teams that are holding leads, that are doing what they need to do, 
they can be the difference, especially as we get closer to the season where you just don't have pitchers pitching, especially we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks, but that final. And we talk about a good bullpen helping our, our starting pitching, especially when it comes to wins. The same can be said for a closer in spite of Class A finally blowing a save, but nobody expects that to continue. To If these guys come in and the team takes the lead, holding that possibility of a win for us as there well. There you go. All right, Brian, any other any other pitchers out there that are going to help chip away at uh, some ratios for this coming week? I think any anybody in the bullpen for the Seattle Mariners can fit that bill. Literally, Andre Munoz, Matt Brash, Matt Fiesta, Penn Murphy. They called up or they brought in Matthew Boyd from the Detroit Tigers fame. The Seattle Mariners has like the most underrated bullpen in all of Major League Baseball. It is fantastic. But I know from personal experience, I know who not to bring in, and that is A.J. Puck. Did You know, he's got the stuff. Did y'all see what happened to him on Friday? I got so excited. I was like, okay, here we go. It's A.J. Puck time in, in Oakland. Oh, no. He went in for a, he was in a 3-0 game, came in for the save in the ninth, gave up five earned runs and two in 0.2 innings pitch, lost to the Chicago White Sox five to three. I'm like, is this ever going to happen for AJ Puck? I don't know. But uh, were you watching the game, Britain? I did. I'm blaming you. It's totally my fault. Oh, it was so sad because, of course, I picked him up last week in my 12-team fab leagues because I know in one league I've got like Brandon Hughes and I'm just trying to scrape things together. So I pick up A.J. Puck and then here he he comes with a quick five earned runs. And I think I lost three points in some kind of categories (laughs) because of A.J. Puck. I'm like, University of Florida, that figures. But (laughs) I went to UT. They've been beating us down for years. But so... That, that was one thing I was looking at was it was AJ AJ Puck. I hope he bounces back. But thank you all for letting me vent a right. little bit. I feel so much better. We know if we see the percentages of Puck's roster shift go down next week, it's because he's off of all of Britain's teams. It really is. <laughs> but you know who I would consider? And let me run this by you guys and see what you think. What about DL Hall in Baltimore? He got called up. He was a little erratic in his first call up, but... Six, it's only six innings pitch. He's got 11K per nine. He's got the stuff. When I watch him pitch, it is electric. Do y'all have any interest in taking a flyer on DL Hall and as a long reliever in Baltimore? Yeah, absolutely. We talked about him either last week or the week before for exactly the situation you're talking about. And there's always an opportunity in Baltimore with Felix Bautista getting arm fatigue recently that the the rest of the bullpen is going to get a little bit extra work as they try to save him a little bit. I'm not saying they're removing him from the closer role or he'll even miss any time per se, but if that's the case for him, guy throws 100-101 on a regular basis, it's not too surprising. So if that means Hall gets a couple extra opportunities per week, Rather than just the one or two, then if as long as he doesn't have another blow up, like he's already had two out of his four outings have been less than ideal as far as all the ratios go. His uh, ERA is inflated. (laughs) There's no doubt about that. But yeah, his stuff is so good, though. I'd 
I just want to keep an eye on him. All right, let's let's move in. As I talk about one closer that's obviously not available, let us talk into our last pitching category. That is the saves category, everybody's favorite category. Kevin, start here with you. Who might you be looking at in to fill in some some save opportunities for you? This is a maybe, but I'm going right back to what you were just talking about. Really depends on Felix Bautista was the last report I saw was he had played catch on Saturday and depending on how he felt after that may have been available Saturday or Sunday. They go out and give up 17 runs to the Red Sox and we don't get to find out if he was available or not because they didn't (laughs) use him anyway. So really monitoring this situation the rest of Saturday and for our listeners all day Sunday, fortunately, typically all but one game has ended and it's usually ended as well by the time we have to get our bids in. But if Bautista either can't go or is going to be limited, I'm looking at Dylan Tate in Baltimore. In his last four appearances, he's got two wins and two saves. We can't get those. Too late for that. Would have been amazing (laughs) to get that from a reliever. But he's probably the guy now with Lopez gone if Bautista does have lingering issues upcoming. So monitoring this situation really closely, and if it looks like Bautista might either miss time or be taken out of the role for a little bit, or be limited. I might add Dylan Tate in a couple spots. All right. Besides the Baltimore situation, Bruno, you have your eye on any other bullpens that might be giving different opportunities to different pitchers at the end of games. The one I was looking at is in Miami. Tanner Scott has performed well, but he's also blown some saves. He's been in the doghouse recently. And the guy that they trade, the Miami Marlins traded for from the Dodgers, Dylan Floro, who was hurt at the beginning of the year, going through some rough spots. But since the All-Star break, he's been playing really well. 18 innings pitched with a 2-5 ERA, 1.28 whip, which is nothing to write home about it. But in the Miami bullpen, that'll put you at the top of the list. His caper walk is 19-6. to and, and most importantly, so he finally got the opportunity for a save chance. I think it was like his fourth on the year. But this past Friday, Tanner Scott was used in the seventh. Flora was used in the ninth. He had a clean inning and got the save. So this may be a harbinger of things to come. Tanner Scott working some early innings after he's been blowing some saves and now let Floro finally get that chance that I'm pretty sure he was traded for. So Dylan Floro is someone to keep an eye on, possibly for a few saves. Every save counts towards the end, and it looks like he may have the first crack at the roll here from here on out. I mean, especially at this time of year, man. Possession is nine tenths of the law. So if you're giving you're giving somebody the opportunity and they're taking advantage of it, you got to assume unless it's due to arm fatigue or overusage or something like that, that a change could be in the air, an opportunity could be taken advantage of for sure. So I like that call out a lot. All right, final category, guys, our wild card category. Kevin, I'll start here with you again. This is. For any particular reason, maybe somebody we talked about, maybe somebody that didn't fit into a category we talked about earlier. It could be a stash, even at this time of year, whatever it is. Who might you have your eye on 
for whatever reason. Yeah, I already talked about him earlier in the show. It came up, and I thought it was relevant at the time. But, yeah, (laughs) if he's available and if you are in need of stolen bases and you have an extra spot, which is really tough this time of year, Harrison Bader is the guy, I think. If he starts his rehab assignment within the next day or two, hopefully on Sunday, even if it's for another reason, if it doesn't happen Sunday, that's going to give me concern that something's not quite right because they did say as early as Sunday. That's what I want to see first. Then add him. He'll be much more expensive next week when you're trying to make that ad as he will probably be called up. I did see that it probably would not be prior to the 20th, which I think is their first game against Pittsburgh the following week. So that's, let me double check that. I don't want to be saying that's wrong, but I did see it. it probably, I did see it wouldn't be until then. I want to make sure I'm right about the teams I'm talking about. Yeah. They play Pittsburgh at home on the 20th. They have an off day next Monday. So that's probably his date to come back. If everything goes well this week, probably not be able to use him this week, but once again, he'll be much less expensive this week. And if you don't grab him, somebody else might. He won't be available at all no, next sure. week. Yeah, and obviously be monitoring what he does in those rehab starts if he steals just one base. Feel strongly about putting him right back into your lineup the following week when he comes back, when he makes his New York Yankees debut. All right, Brian, last recommendation here. Who is your wild card selection for the end of the show? I've got the wildest wild card in the history of wild cards. And I'll talk a little bit about his background too. It's TJ Friedel from the Cincinnati Reds. He bats lead off against righties in the last eight games. He's hitting 364 with four home runs and he's got six stolen bases from the year. He is literally out of nowhere. And when I say nowhere, nowhere, he was an undrafted free agent in the 2016 draft. He was signed by the Reds after the draft to your standard free agent contract. All right, so let's talk a little bit. Who is this guy? Why is he a major league starter batting leadoff? It's such a great story. I absolutely love it. Okay, so his real name is not TJ. It is, in fact, Terry Lee Friedel. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But as you will notice, there is no J in Terry Lee Friedel. Anyway, he calls himself TJ. So I think that adds to the mystery a little bit of what this wild card is. Where's the J come from? I don't know. I just bat lead off and get on base and hit home runs and really hot lately. Okay, if that's true, let's take a look at this guy a little bit. So uh, undrafted free agent. So he signs with the Reds. His first professional at-bat and was in rookie league with the Billings Mustangs. In his first at-bat, he hit a home run. And, and he hits another home run in that same game. He grinds through the minors, literally, from the, the, Billing, the Mustangs to the Dayton Dragons. Then he goes to the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. We all know the Blue Wahoos. And then the Chattanooga Lookouts. And then finally makes it to AAA in 2021, the Louisville Bats. 
He gets called up by the Reds. And on September the 18th, 2021, he had his first major league recorded hit was a, you guessed it, a home run. TJ Friedel is the ultimate undrafted free agent wild card. I'm rooting for him. He was undrafted, worked his way up the ranks. He's now a big league starter, batting leadoff for the Reds. I say, let's just go. Let's go, TJ Friedel. You go, man. You made it. You were. He went to the University of Nevada. He didn't get a scholarship. He walked on. Talk about an underdog story. He's kind of Rudy at Notre Dame or something, except he's a much taller with free-flowing hair. But so that's my wild card. That's a long-winded wild card. But that's TJ Friedel. He's been an underdog his entire life. He's 27 years old. He's got the opportunity. I hope he takes it and just has the best year ever. I, he, I love that he's leading off against righties. Like you said, I hope he can take advantage of this nine-game week that the Reds have and bat plenty of games against lefties as well because I think they are set to face a couple of lefties throughout the course of the week as well. Just two, I think, of the nine. So. All right, so he should, even if he seats those two games, he'll, he'll get the full seven-game work week throughout the course of the week. Love the call-out. Love the deep dive into who TJ Friedel is, though. So it's really good to know who the players are that you are spending your fab on. And if any listener of your wonderful podcast knows where in the world the J comes from, it is killing me. It's like I the have, Homer J. It's know. like Homer J. Simpson. It's like maybe yeah, the J like, is just there. It's just why there. is it there? It's not your name. I don't know. Someone tell me. <laughs> I love it. All right, with all of that in mind, I think that's going to do it for our recommendations. Kevin, do you have anything to sign us off with as far as any added strategy or recommendations or words of wisdom to our listeners? Just a reminder, right? Everybody, something everybody knows, but we're head-to-head playoffs are, if they didn't start in your league this past week, they're definitely probably starting this week. Definitely probably. I guess I just said that. Pay attention to your opponent's team and their tendencies. If they have four good closers and they typically play three or four of them and you only have one or two, play nine starters. You're not winning saves, right? Punt it. Punt a category in head-to-head playoffs. And in almost every head-to-head playoff that I'm in, I can find a category I should probably punt. And it's, I think most people that play head to head or have played for very long realize that, but just one of those things to remind yourself is when you're looking at your lineups and if you have guys, if you have some, there's a lot of teams that don't play on Monday this week, double check back on Tuesday morning, not just at your lineup and the lineups of the teams that your guys are playing in, check your opponent's lineups again, see what they've moved around, see if you need to adjust to that as well especially when it comes to saves and stolen bases. There may not be a reason to play a stolen base guy that's not going to give you anything else if it's pretty likely your opponent is going to beat you in stolen bases anyway. Well said. And in my head-to-head playoff matchup, I am facing off against Aaron Judge, so home runs have been tanked already. All right. Brian, I want to thank you once again, man, for joining us. Can you let everybody know where they can find you and what you do in this wonderful world we, uh, that we live in? 
Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. Adam, Kevin, thank you so much. I've had a blast. I love talking baseball with you guys. And you're, the information that y'all give fantasy baseball players is always spot on. I, again, my name is Britton Allen, and I post all my YouTube clips on my Twitter feed, which is just my name, which isn't the most creative thing in the world, but it's effective. It's at Britton Allen, B-R-I-T-O-N. A-L-A-N. And I make YouTube clips for a triple play podcast, which if you go to triple play fantasy at the YouTube channel, you'll see my little thumbnail, which is a handsome touched up photo of myself. I, at least I think that's me. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but anyway, it says Britain's lineups. And then I go through, I call it three is a magic number where I go through all the lineups from all 30 teams every week and see which hitters are moving up the lineup. Like TJ Friedel, of course, is one that I've talked about several times before. I really enjoyed it. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Yeah, Britton, thanks, man, for coming on, taking the time, and breaking down some really good recommendations for everybody to consider this week. Make sure you're checking out Britton's podcast, Three is a Magic Number, on the Triple Play Fantasy YouTube I got one quick thing to add, Adam. A little while back, three or four weeks ago, probably, Eric Cross put out a little questionnaire about podcasts and different categories, and... I knew who was going to win best voice. We all knew Derek Van Riper would win best voice, but I gave Britton Allen a, a shout out for best voice. Oh, for the podcast sure. What? Eric yeah. This is news to me. That's awesome. Thank you, Kevin. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Deserved. Hopefully you guys listening and agree with, with that shout out as well. I really do appreciate that. I listen to myself and I think I sound like Spicoli from Fast Times we, at we Ridgemont High. Was, yeah. I, I'm like, why do I sound like such a stoner? I don't know. but I, Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, guys. That's going to wrap it up for episode 76 of On The Wire. Please make sure to subscribe, share, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. We will be back every Sunday with detailed fab breakdowns throughout the rest of the season. Of course, keep an eye out for Kevin's companion article over at PitcherList.com. That comes out every Sunday afternoon as well. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at HastingKevin. And of course, follow the pod itself at OnTheWirePod. I'd like to once again thank our guest, Britton Allen, for joining us. Follow him at Britton Allen. I am Adam Howe. And on behalf of Kevin Hasting, thanks for listening. With that, we bid you goodbye. Goodbye.